listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. This week, we're exploring change, how beliefs influence how we approach events and rituals. We now turn from the Olympics to a story by reporter Jess Ingerbretson, who takes us to Western North Carolina to explore how one woman's journey, confronting illness and suffering, led her to build a community that offers people of all faiths and no faith a new way of approaching death. On a sunny October morning in North Carolina, two men are digging a grave. The men dig by hand, peeling off sweaters and long-sleeved shirts as they work up a sweat. After a few hours, the shovel hits rock. They switch to a pickaxe. You want to take a break, huh? Yeah, not on these rocks. The men heap the excavated earth beside the grave in three piles. It takes the men about five hours to dig a three-foot-deep grave. When they fill it later in the day, they'll work backwards, clay in first, then topsoil, and finally the leaf debris. The process ensures that the burial disrupts the ecosystem as little as possible. It also speeds the body's decomposition, nourishing the surrounding plants and animals. This is the burial process at the Carolina Memorial Sanctuary, a conservation burial ground in western North Carolina. We're in a culture that doesn't look at death and doesn't hold it. This is Caroline Young, the founder and director of the sanctuary. For 20 years, she's been working to open up conversations about death and dying in the Asheville area. Helping people look at their beliefs, their spiritual practices, to pick and design the way they want to die and the way they want their body to be recycled or cared for after death. Caroline is in her 60s, with close-cut gray hair and a no-nonsense manner. She spends much of the day outdoors and dresses the part. Khaki cargo pants, sturdy shoes, and a knit cap to ward off the morning chill. You might not guess that she's also a minister in the Soto Zen tradition. So one of the things that we had to do in order to become a lay minister was to pick a Buddhist topic to become proficient at. And mine is death and dying. Carolina Memorial Sanctuary, 11 acres of woods and wetland, is the culmination of that work. The goal is to give North Carolinians an alternative way to experience dying, eco-friendly and community-oriented. The place used to be a dairy farm, and the land was in rough shape when Caroline bought it in 2015. She and her colleagues have worked to root out invasive species, support native plants, and rebuild fragile ecosystems. All right, then. So, Stephen, it's supposed to rain tomorrow, so... When the gravediggers finish, Caroline gathers the sanctuary staff in a clearing to touch base. There's a burial the next morning, and the weather forecast is iffy. Time to talk logistics. Do you think since it's only two of them, the 10 by 10? Will it cover both the graves, do you think? Should. Yeah, I think that's fine. Rain isn't just an inconvenience. Wet soil slows the body's decomposition. At the sanctuary, these details matter. The goal is to return the body's nutrients to the land. The green approach means that embalming is out. 
Shrouds and coffins are welcome, says operations director Cassie Barrett, if they're eco-friendly. You don't want anything to be toxic or harmful, so there's a lot of mindfulness about the materials you use. For example, we wouldn't want to use a coffin or casket that has used polyurethane over the wood or any sort of um, harmful chemical or varnish like that. Families often prepare their loved ones' bodies for burial at home and bring them to the sanctuary bundled in the back of a car. Staff dig and fill the graves by hand, and mourners are welcome to help out. After the huddle, Caroline and Stephen head across the creek to the sanctuary's office, an old shipping container, to check supplies. Inside are shovels, pickaxes, and rows of bamboo urns for cremated remains. Big ones are for humans, smaller ones for pets. Caroline selects two for upcoming burials. Hey, busy. I can, yes. Caroline's phone rings a lot. Sometimes the person on the other end wants to tour the burial ground. Sometimes they have a question about how the sanctuary works. And sometimes they're calling about a recent death. So, oh, your brother, this is for your brother. Oh, gosh. This caller is planning to bury cremated remains. She has questions about the cost and payment options. You know, what I can do, Busy, is send you an invoice, and you can pay it online. For Creekside, it's $1,300. The meadow is 1200 and then the um, woodlands is 1100 did, did you have any sense of which area you liked? Caroline grew up Presbyterian in Florida and bounced around Gainesville's party scene in her teens and early 20s. Death work wasn't part of her life plan. Then one summer, she got a job at an outdoor recreation company in western North Carolina. At the end of the summer, she stayed. I was in that area for 15 years, and um, being in the mountains and not having the city life, the the drugs, the all that kind of stuff that was available in Gainesville. And I don't know. That's where I felt like I grew up. Life in the mountains was quiet. Caroline and her friends learned to make their own fun. You couldn't get to the movies. You couldn't get to town. There's nothing going on. So if, if somebody was doing something, we'd want to go hear it. When a Buddhist teacher passed through, Caroline was curious. She went to the talk. And the message was that I was responsible for my own suffering, that I could do something about it. And that intrigued me. I could work with that. Um, Instead of relying on a higher power, I could do these incremental things that would lessen my suffering. Caroline hadn't practiced meditation. But when the visiting teacher mentioned a 10-day retreat, she decided to try it out. And on the first day... My mind started going, what the hell are you doing here? The retreat was austere. Caroline sat cross-legged in meditation most of the day, every day, facing a blank plywood wall. She paid attention to her breath. She noticed the thoughts and feelings that popped up. It wasn't easy. So we're sitting in meditation, and I felt like I was going to faint. So I didn't pay attention to that. And then my mind started making up these stories. My leg was also falling asleep. So my mind says, it's like, I just envisioned this hysterical woman, you know, with her hair crazed and always fearful. And so she says to me in my mind, your leg's falling asleep. You need to get up. And I didn't move. And then she said, I said, your leg's falling asleep. 
If you stand up now, you're going to fall down. You're going to hit your head and you're going to crack your head open. You're going to bleed to death. So everything led to death. And so the bell rang and I got up. That was day one. When Caroline sat down again, the fear sat with her. And so the next meditation, here she comes again. We need to get out of here. This is just stupid. What are you doing here? And so she identified my numb leg again, and she said, your leg is, you're going to get gangrene. They're going to have to cut your leg off. You know, it was this hysterical kind of craziness. So then that's when the faint came. Then since those two didn't work, then, then I started feeling faint. So I asked the teacher, I'm feeling faint during meditation. And she says, well, she had only had one person faint, and the woman was pregnant. She says, invite yourself to faint. So here she comes, the mind, and she tells me about my leg again. We need to leave. And she says, you're about to faint. And I said, bring it on. She did faint. That's when things got really weird. I was aware of every part of the faint. I was watching me faint. And so I was aware that I was falling forward. My head hit the the piece of plywood. There was a uh, kind of a rattling of the plywood. And then I heard the rustling in the room and they came over and picked me up and my mind was going, you need to lay me down so I can level my blood out. Don't lift me up or I'm going to faint again. This was all going on while it was all happening. So I witnessed the faint, which was profound to me. It wasn't a blackout because there was a witness. So this greater witness was there. And if I can tap into the greater witness, that's the observer of everything that's happening, there's a strength and stability there that I can rest in that. That faint showed Caroline that she didn't have to let fear control her. That's how she warmed up to Buddhism. By the early 90s, she'd moved to Asheville and joined a Buddhist community of practice, a Sangha. Then one of the Sangha members died. The group didn't have much experience with Buddhist death traditions, so Caroline's teacher asked her to do some research. When she asked me to learn how to take care of the dead body after death, it was a turning point for me. I couldn't go anywhere to train, so I had to figure that out. I had to study it, and uh, so I did. In the end, Caroline led her sangha through that first funeral. With practice, she got more comfortable. She studied the Tibetan book of living and dying. She read the work of 11th century Buddhist teacher Atisha. When friends of Sangha members died, she helped prepare their bodies for burial. But death work didn't always translate, even in offbeat Asheville. Caroline remembers some parties she went to. And people are drinking and they're milling around, and which I hated to go to those things. And then, you know, because it goes to, well, what do you do? And I'd start saying it, and then they'd glaze over and go, oh, my God, what is she talking about? How can I get away from this person? But others outside of the sangha were more curious than fearful. It helped that Caroline worked a day job at a hair salon. As she snipped and angled and blow-dried, she had a captive audience. So for three hours, they'd have to listen to me tell them what I was doing. So then some of those people, you know, knew of someone who just died. They'd call me. You know, maybe Caroline has a different way we can do this. Soon she was working with people of all faiths and no faith. She showed friends how to wrap a shroud, how to keep a body cool. 
She listened to their fears. What I realized was that people were unprepared for death. Almost everybody was unprepared for death. That realization led her to begin teaching classes with names like Preparing for Your Own Good Death and Life and Home Funeral Training. Caroline actually pretended to have died on her couch. This is Gabriel Intan, a hospice nurse who took Caroline's home funeral training a few years ago. The work began with Caroline's death. As instructed, he and his classmates looked around for her written wishes. Her documents were in the freezer um, with a little magnet reminder. Uh, It said, like, matters of life and death inside. (laughs) Matters of life and death were not new to Gabriel. But he was used to death in a medical context. This experience was inside Caroline's home, with a kettle boiling on the stove and the teacher stretched out on the couch. They had recommended, you know, leaving her body um, for an hour where it was, and then um, where she had wanted to go was in their meditation room. So um, the uh, people mover, it's like a giant sling that several people could put under her, and then the process of washing her body and preparing the massage table where she would lie in state. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Audio reporter Jess Ingerbretson continues her story about Carolyn Young, the founder and director of the Carolina Memorial Sanctuary, a conservation burial ground located in western North Carolina. Let's get back to the story. After it was all over, Caroline got up and rejoined the world of the living. Apart from that key detail, the run-through was a lot like the real thing. Last fall, Gabriel and his husband Eric Iverson put that training into practice when their housemate Yvette died. She had wanted to die at home with her wife and friends, and she did, in her own bed. The experience that, you know, everyone was there in the bed with her was really... Um, unique. I hadn't done anything like that before, but it it seemed exactly what she wanted, like to be in the bed that she had lived and slept in. And it was pretty special to be able to make that happen. Gabriel's a pianist, and we have a piano right outside Yvette's room. So he sat down on the piano and It became really peaceful, and Yvette opened her eyes, and the heavy breathing that had been happening um, stopped, and there was just kind of a moment of calm. Within an hour or so, she, she had died. Yvette is buried at the sanctuary on a small hill overlooking a creek. She was Puerto Rican and practiced Santeria, the river goddess Oshun was important to her. Her wife thought she'd like this spot, in view of the water. Eric dug the grave by hand. At the burial, her family and friends placed her body inside and helped fill the space. First clay, then topsoil, then the crumbly humus. These days, burials are staff member Cassie Barrett's favorite part of the job now that she's learned how to be with grieving families. 
And Caroline has been such an amazing teacher for me because she's so good at just meeting people where they're at. You know, when I first started doing this work, it's really scary. You're like dealing with a body and families and grief and, you, you know, you want to do the right thing. And like, what do I say and what do I do? Cassie's not a Buddhist, but she says the sanctuary's spiritual grounding has shaped her own outlook. When you're really doing this work, and I mean like at the burial, not like when I'm on the computer <laughs> checking emails, <laughs> but when you're at a burial or something, like you really step outside of yourself. There's no self anymore. You're really like there with in that moment serving these people. And I honestly, my heart's not, it's never happier than in those moments. Caroline says the key is being open to whatever form grief takes. I have the capacity to sit with this kind of fear and this kind of um, suffering and uh, not to take it on. I think that's the key is to not take it on, that it will, uh, it'll have a life to it. It'll come and go, but it's not permanent. It, the grief might be permanent, but the waves of it will be varied. Caroline earned this knowledge of grief the hard way. In the early 2000s, she was settled in Asheville. She felt she'd found her life's work, teaching people there about death and dying. She fell in love, married her partner, and helped raise his two young sons. But something wasn't right. On our wedding day, I realized I was quite ill. It was, it was very, very, very difficult. My uh, doctor didn't even want me to walk around the block or climb stairs and because uh, was, I was close, so fatigued. And my husband didn't believe I was sick. So, and he couldn't understand it and didn't want to understand it. Caroline says her husband asked her to choose between her work and her marriage. And I made the choice, and uh, I decided to leave. So that was a very, very difficult. It was probably the hardest thing in my life. And... Um, Because I love those little boys. And, um, you know, and I love my husband. But I knew that I couldn't give up my spiritual practice for that. Her practice helped what she calls a brutal recovery from the end of that marriage. There was a greater knowing that I had the strength and capacity to do that, and I was going to survive, and I was going to be even bigger on the other side. It's going to be even safer and cleaner and whatever you want to say on the other side. But it was like ripping your skin off to get there. And I think that some people, you know, get stuck in that despair and the despair wins. And um, there was huge despair. But I had practices. You know, I knew it wasn't going to, nothing is permanent. I knew I was not going to be in that situation. It was not permanent. Whatever mental state I was in, emotional state I was in, it was not permanent. Nothing is permanent. As if to honor change, she turned to building the sanctuary. Caroline had thought about starting a green burial ground for years. Now it was time. I don't have a background in land management. I don't have a background in conservation. I only have a background about stepping through fear. She sold her house and used the money to buy a beat-up dairy farm, 11 acres of wetland and forest tucked up against a swath of soybean fields. The land was a mess, but she had a vision, a place by the river for people to grieve, native plants, a mix of wetland and woodland. 
she got the land legally protected from future development. And bit by bit, Caroline and the staff are starting to translate vision into mud, rocks, and seeds. In addition to a place for this holding grief and burial, it also is a place to uh, rejoice and to reflect. There's benches around the sanctuary, and because you're sitting by graves, you know, you're reminded that that could be me one day. And I think in that reminding, people have a tendency to be uh, kinder because we don't know if this is the last time we're going to see somebody, if this is the last thing I'll say to them. On a windy October morning, Caroline has a tour scheduled. We meet Patricia Johnson in the parking lot. She's enthusiastic in sneakers and a purple turtleneck, gray hair braided. She's thinking about green burial for herself. The three of us climb into an electric golf cart, and Caroline's little white dog wriggles onto Patricia's lap. How'd you hear about us? That's Jasper. Are you okay with him laying on you? All right. How did I hear about you? We set off into the pines, gravel crunching under our wheels. Red sumac and blackberry line the path. Patricia has questions about cremation. But if I'm being scattered, I'm not going to have an urn, would I? You won't have an urn, no. So, and for scattering, though, we need to have your ashes four months before this, right. any service that right. happens. So you Toward the end of the tour, we pass a grassy spot not too far from the woodland path. That's where Caroline will be buried, alongside her cat and dog. I believe that when the body's dying, there's a part of me that's going to be aware of what's happening. And that part has been trained to know what to do. That if fear arises, if the small part of the mind is experiencing pain or suffering or whatever, the greater mind will be able to say, this is what you're experiencing. The elements are dissolving. This is normal. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. That greater knowing can calm down the smaller mind that is freaking out, if it freaks out. And I know enough about death now, what will happen, to be able to talk myself through it. And I have practices to support me if that should weaken, you know. And I've got lots of people, if people can be contacted, who can also guide me. But should I die alone in a place where I'm not found for a while, can I be my own guide? And I believe the answer is yes. It'll be a while, Caroline hopes, because she still has plenty of plans for the sanctuary. She wants to be there to see it grow. But if she isn't, she's all right with that. For The Spiritual Edge, I'm Jess Ingebretson. Jess Ingebretson is an independent journalist based in New York City. In 2009, she was awarded a Watson Fellowship to spend a year exploring radio and reconciliation in post-conflict societies around the world. Inger Bretzen produced this story for The Spiritual Edge in collaboration with the USC's Center for Religion and Civic Culture. Cheryl Duvall is the Sacred Steps editor, Tarek Fauda is the engineer, and Judy Silver, executive editor. That's all for this week's show. Our producer this week was Kevin McCarthy. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, and MC Yogi for our theme music. 
If you missed any portion, you can stream at interfaithradio.org, where you can also subscribe to the podcast. Just search Interfaith Voices wherever you listen. And while you're there, leave us a review. It helps others find us. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Wherever you are, I hope you are safe, I hope you are well, and I hope you stay connected. I'll see you next week.